As I said earlier, I'm Joe Collins. Welcome to See Me Church. We are glad that you are here with us. Last week for our message, we celebrated Mother's Day. And if you were here, we had all the moms and the ladies head out to the fellowship hall behind us and enjoyed a time of tea and snacks while the brothers stayed in here and were encouraged by two of the brothers in our fellowship, reminding us how important the women in our lives really are. Well, today we're going to be starting a new open-ended series based on the writings of Jeremiah. You may remember a while ago we did a series called Jesus Worth Following, and it just went on. We went through the book of Mark, and we, there was no end to it. it was, there was no designated end. We just went through it until we finished the book. And it took almost a year and a half, maybe close to two years to do that. And it was incredibly inspiring and refreshing. And we really soaked up everything we could in just one pass through through the Gospel of Mark well. The series of Jeremiah is going to be like that. We are just going to go through the book for as long as it takes to soak up what we can out of that book in one pass through. And then when we're done, who knows when that is, we'll have a great time of celebration and celebrating God's word and the things we've learned from the series. So I hope that you'll want to be joining us for this series because it's we're going to really make an effort to make this deep and meaningful and insightful and I bet most of us in this room here have never really studied the the, the book of Jeremiah in depthly very much myself included so I am looking forward to how we are going to take this book apart really dig into it and see what God has to say to us so there was this minister and he dies and he awakes in the afterlife and finds himself standing in line at the pearly gates. In front of him was a shabby-looking guy wearing sunglasses, a loud shirt, and jeans. And when he approached St. Peter, St. Peter said to that guy, Who are you? And the guy replied in a heavy New York accent, I'm Joe. I'm Joe from Brooklyn. And St. Peter said, That's great, Joe. What did you do? in your life on earth. And he said, I was a taxi driver. My job was to get people from A to B as fast as I possibly could. So St. Peter looked down at his list and he smiled and he said, you know, Joe, congratulations. You've made it to heaven. Take this silken robe and this golden staff and come on in. Well, standing behind Joe was our minister. And it was his turn to come forward and talk to St. Peter. And he stood up in his nice Sunday suit, and with the best English that he learned how to speak, he said, I am Pastor Bob of Christ Church. And I spent my years on earth, 40 of them, 43 of them in my career, preaching God's word and serving him. St. Peter looked down at his list, smiled, and said, you know, Pastor Bob, congratulations, you too have made it into heaven. Now take this cotton robe and this wooden staff and come on in. Well, Pastor Bob was a bit taken aback by that. And he looked at St. Peter and he said, what are, you, what are you talking about? How is it that Joe, the taxi driver, gets a silken robe and a golden staff, and I, a minister of 40-some-odd years who preached God's Word every Sunday, only gets a wooden staff and a cotton robe. St. Peter smiled and said, well, Pastor Bob, 
In heaven, we reward people based on their performance on earth. And unfortunately, those 43 years you spent your time preaching, most of your audience was asleep. But Joe, the taxi driver, spent his years driving in New York City as fast as he could from point A to B, and his passengers spent most of their time in prayer. (laughs) Now, I hope that my lesson today in the series on Jeremiah keeps you awake, because there's so much to learn from this incredible life of Jeremiah that I think one day might help you and me just earn or just receive that incredible reward of that staff and that robe in heaven. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 1 if you have Bibles. If not, the words will be on the screen. And let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for calling us again this morning and for this chance to come before you and and learn from your word. Thank you for the incredible example of the, of the, of the men and the women in Scripture who, are, who, who, who lived a life that inspires us even to this day. I pray, Father, that we give our full attention at this time to the reading of your word and to the investigating of your word. Let it inspire us. Let it, let it uh, uh, change who we are. Let it be worth every minute we sit in these chairs, in these pews, to hear your word and to see what it is that you want us to see in it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. Jeremiah was the major prophetic figure during what we call, during the period of the decline and the fall of the kingdom of Judah. He was the son of a priest. He grew up in the territory of Benjamin that was just north of the city of Jerusalem. And in 627 BC or thereabouts, at about the age of 20, during the 13th year of the reign of King Josiah, his life took an unexpected and dramatic turn when God called him not into the priesthood like his father, but to become a prophet. Prophets were unique individuals who God asked not only to speak his words, but to also live them out. And as we go through the book of Jeremiah, we'll see exactly what that means. But for now, for Jeremiah, it meant that through both words and lifestyle, his mission was to warn Judah about the gathering threat of Babylon in the east and counseled the people to repent by not resisting the Babylonians. We have on the screen a map. It's you know, a very simple map, but it's basically of the Assyrian Empire during the 8th century BC and into the 7th century. 
And you'll notice that Assyria was sort of the dominant force at the time in this region we call the Middle East. And with the exception of a tiny little circle, I don't know if you can quite see it, but there's a little circle of land right there at Judah uh, by Edom, Moab, and Gaza. That was the kingdom of Judah. It was the only kind of unconquered land in this great Assyrian empire. During this time, there were several nations, including Israel, Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon, that vied for control of the Middle East. In 721, Assyria defeated the northern half of the tribe of Israel. And so on our map there, where that little circle is by Judah, just above it would have been another circle called the Northern Kingdom of Israel. It was destroyed in 721 BC by the Assyrians. And that the only, and that entire land was theirs to rule, with the exception of that small little remnant of people, or that tiny little kingdom called Judah, right there sort of in the middle of that great landmass. That lasted for about a hundred years, and then in 612 BC, the Babylonians defeated the Assyrians at Nineveh, and about seven years later, they defeated the Egyptians at the Battle of Carchemish, and they became the dominant power of the region. And they turned their sights on that tiny little plot of land called the kingdom of Judah. And they did that because that kingdom of Judah, in spite of all of Jeremiah's warnings to the contrary, sided with Egypt and Assyria trying to defeat the Babylonians. And so in retaliation, the Babylonians, in about 586 B.C., under their king Nebuchadnezzar, entered into the kingdom of Judah, destroyed the temple, exiled, took the people away into captivity, and the kingdom of Judah was no more. Yet even after this catastrophe, the collapse of the nation, there were small bands of zealot, zealous Israelites, Jews, who were still sort of roaming around in that territory. And they continued to resist the Babylonian rule. Again, against Jeremiah's pleadings for them to submit. Ultimately, these bands were forced to flee to Egypt, and they took Jeremiah with them against his will. Jeremiah probably died around 570 B.C. in Egypt, having been stoned by his fellow countrymen who got tired of him telling them to stop resisting Babylon and submit to their authority. For some 40 years, Jeremiah had been predicting these events and pleading with the people of Judah to repent and submit to Babylonian rule with no success. They just ignored him. You know, a study of Jeremiah's life is a study of submission to both human authority and God's authority. We like to think of ourselves as the masters of our own domain. But the truth is, we are in control of very little. I'm not a prophet, but I'm convinced in, in this ever-changing world that there are going to be times coming in the future, maybe even the near future, 
when God is going to call His church to submit even to ungodly authority, the question is, will the church be willing to do so? Verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send to you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, and to plant. You know, one of the most unique qualities about Jeremiah's writings is how autobiographical they are. It's not unusual for Jeremiah to include personal information about himself or even his state of mind. And it's for that reason that we know more about Jeremiah the person than we do just about any other prophet in Scripture. For instance, in verses 5 and 6, even though God had made it, had made it clear to Jeremiah that he had been chosen even from before birth, Jeremiah confesses that he has a fear of public speaking and he's concerned about his lack of maturity for the job or for the task that he's been given. Nevertheless, God appoints Jeremiah a prophet, and he puts his message of repentance and submission to Babylon directly into his mouth. That's what that image there is of the Lord touching Jeremiah's mouth. That is, that is meant to convey that Jeremiah had a conviction that the message he was given was from God. In spite of his lack of maturity, in spite of his inability to be a good public speaker, he believed that the message he had been given by God was from God for the people. <coughs> this is a conviction that he had to hold on to, given that his message was one of doom and gloom, of tearing down, of uprooting, of replanting, and he had to preach that message for 40 years. Do you believe that God still puts his message into the mouths of people today? As a matter of fact, I know I do. And as a matter of fact, if you are a believer of God, you have been given a message. Yet it's only those who wholeheartedly believe, like Jeremiah did, that that message you have been given is from God. And only when you believe that will you continue to share that message for however long it takes, regardless of your insecurities and your lack of credentials. You know, I've been ministering in our church for some 20 years. Not even half, really, of Jeremiah's ministry. But I appreciate Jeremiah's transparency because it gives me something to hold on to. It gives me something to relate to. And it helps me to keep going for as long as God calls me to go. Verse 11, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch 
of an almond tree. I replied, the Lord said to me, I replied, the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see if my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against her, uh, against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. So after Jeremiah is called to be a prophet, he receives two visions from the Lord. The first one is of the branch of an almond tree, and the second one is of a boiling pot that is tilting toward Judah. The first is a description of wakefulness. The almond tree which is one of the first plants to blossom after the winter, is one of the first plants to wake after the winter. The second vision, the one of the boiling pot, is of judgment. And it's communicating that there would be a judgment coming upon Judah from the north. For generations, the Israelites, first in the north and then in the south, had strayed from their covenant with God. The north had already received their judgment. As I said earlier, the Assyrian Empire destroyed the northern half of the nation of Israel in 721 BC, and they were no more. And now it was the south's turn. But God in his mercy was giving them a chance. And so he gave these visions to Jeremiah to share with the people. The first was intended to wake them up. The second was to call them to repent. But here's the catch. And this is really the power of the story of Jeremiah in my mind. The catch was the judgment was not going to be stopped. God was calling them to repent in spite of the fact that the wheels had already been put in motion and the judgment was already coming. And so they weren't repenting to avoid judgment. They were repenting to survive the judgment. Have you ever seen a car crash and watched it as it was happening? And you could just see it. Oh no, this is going to be an accident. It's kind of like that for the nation of Judah. It's coming. There is nothing that's going to do, that's going to happen to stop it. The only hope they have is to repent and submit to it. You know, this was got to be the worst sermon ever to preach. I mean, who wants to hear that you're in sin and that there's nothing you can do and you're just going to have to suck it up and take your punishment? I mean, imagine if that was my sermon for every 40 years at Simi Church. You're in sin, judgment's coming, and you're just going to have to suck it up and take it. It probably would not play very well, even among you incredible, faithful, awesome people. That 
was Jeremiah's message. And he had to preach it for 40 years. No wonder he's nicknamed the weeping prophet. But you know, I didn't title the sermon The Weeping Prophet. I titled this series The Branch of an Almond Tree because I really love that description. And I think it's very appropriate for our study of Jeremiah. Remember, the branch of an almond tree signified wakefulness. Remember, the almond is one of the first plants to blossom right after winter. It's one of the first plants to wake up. In fact, the Hebrew word for almond tree is sheked, and it means to hasten to awake. And the image I have is that Jeremiah was woke. He was the first woke prophet in the Bible. He was not woke in the sense of social social justice warriors use it. But he was awoke in the sense that God is coming And we better get our act together. That was Jeremiah's message to the people. That's what he was trying to do. In those 40 years, he was trying to wake the nation he loved and the people he loved to what was coming. Are you woke? Are you woke to the reality that God is coming one day? That there is a judgment on the horizon. It is around the corner in some cases. It might be farther away for some and closer for others. But regardless of the case, it is coming. There's nothing we're going to do to stop it. Our only hope is to wake up to the reality. And like Jeremiah, if you're a follower of God, your job then is to wake the people around you to that same reality. We spent a lot of time this year in Simi Church talking about this word oikos. It means household. And the idea is that God, God's way in which he spread his message was through the relational world of his followers. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ today, if you're a follower of God, you, like Jeremiah, have a mission. And the mission is to wake the people in your life that God has placed in your life to the reality that judgment is coming. Have you made a list, written it down, of the people that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your life. Do you have that list? Have you been praying for them regularly? Have you been investing in them routinely? Have you been inviting them to church frequently? And are you actively preparing yourself to be the branch of an almond tree in their life? That was Jeremiah's calling. And that's our calling as well. Verse 16, I will pronounce my judgments 
on my people because their wickedness and forsaking me and burning incense to other gods and worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah and its officials, its priests, the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord, after Jeremiah receives these visions, God tells Jeremiah the reason for the judgment. He says, wickedness and forsaking me, burning incense to other gods, and worshiping figurines. In other words, he's talking about idolatry. By the way, this was the same judgment, reason for judgment, that the northern tribes of Israel, the northern half of the nation of Israel, was destroyed by Assyria. The exact same reason is now the exact same reason why God is bringing judgment in Jeremiah's day. People were turning away from God, and they were turning toward idols. And so God tells Jeremiah to get ready to stand up and to speak out against it. You know, the same thing is happening in our world today. People are turning from God, and they're turning toward idols, sex, drugs, ideologies, you name it. And God is asking you, the church, to get ready to stand up and to speak about it, to speak out about it. I want to talk to our students for just a minute, anyone in junior high, high school, and in college. Now, I'm talking to you, I'm singling you out, but really, I'm hoping your parents and everyone else listen as well. Your generation knows less about God than they do the Kardashians. And they desperately need someone to speak to them about God. You're in a time of life when God can use you to do just that. But you've got to be willing, like Jeremiah, to take a stand and to stick out like a sore thumb in your community, in your world of people, in your relation, relational world. Will you do that for God? Will you do that for God? In the last part of this section, God tells Jeremiah to not be terrified that people would fight against him, but in the end, God would rescue him. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone ends a pep talk by saying to me, don't be terrified, I'm usually terrified. <laughs> and when someone ends a pep talk by telling me that people are going to fight against me, they're the last people that I'm going to want to go talk to. And when someone tells me, hey, but don't worry about it, I'll rescue you in the end, I immediately think, from what? What am I going to be rescued from? You know, God never told Jeremiah that it was, being, it was going to be easy. In fact, what we know from Jeremiah's life is few, if any, even listened to him in those 40 years. But God did promise 
that he would take care of him. You know, thank goodness that God doesn't tell us everything in advance like he did to Jeremiah. I'm not sure if God sat me down in my early 20s when I made my decision to be a follower of Jesus and said, here's how it's going to look for the next whatever years. I'm not sure I would have taken the blue pill. It might have been a bit overwhelming. But you know, I appreciate Jeremiah's trust in God. If there's anything that maybe you could take away from just our first dipping our toe into the water, into this study of Jeremiah, maybe it's just that, that, that Jeremiah trusted God. He had the fortitude, the stamina, the perseverance, the mojo, whatever word you want to use. He had it to go the distance. It's a quality that I need in my life. It's my hope that by digging into this study, this amazing record of Jeremiah's life, that some of it will rub off on me and, and maybe some of it will rub off on you. But only if you stay awake. <laughs> so if you'd like to know more, if you're visiting with us and you'd like to know more about what it means to become a follower of God, it all starts with what we call the ABCs. Admit you are a sinner who needs a Savior. Believe that Jesus is Lord and covenant with Him at baptism. Ask the person who invited you, heck, come up and talk to me about it. We'd love to tell you more. But you know, if you're not ready to do that, then keep coming. Just keep coming back. Yeah. Next week, we're going to take a pause from our study of Jeremiah because our newest appointed elder, Greg Lotane, who was appointed at the same time Jerry Lucero was appointed, is going to come out and he's going to preach God's words to us and spend some time with us in fellowship. And we're really looking forward to that. But after that, we'll come right back and we'll dive right back into our study. I want to thank you for being with us this morning. We're going to stand up at this time. We're going to close out with a word of prayer. Thank you. God, thank you so much for bringing us together today and for just giving us an enlightened view into the book of Jeremiah. It's incredible to know that he lived the life that he lived and he was able to stay true to you and to be trusting of you and to <laughs> endure what he endured for 40 some odd years. And God, help us to just get a little piece of that into us. Help us just to get a little taste of that so that it can really enrich us and infill us and inspire us and help us along our journey as well. I love this great group of people here, and I pray that your spirit is with them as they go out through their week today. Help them to be about their purpose, waking the loved ones in their life to the fact that you're coming one day. I pray, God, that you put a renewed sense of vigor in us, a renewed sense of purpose in us with the people that we do life with. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>